Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Here on the Monday edition of The Yard, we're back in town, back in the building, back in business. A quick little getaway over the weekend. You know, as we guys talked about, you got a Friday show on Thursday because I was traveling on Friday. Went up and uh, spent some time up there in the Ozark Mountains with the family. Chance to celebrate my uh, granddaughter's third birthday. And that's the thing I've shared with you guys before. Like, the, all it took for me to become Mississippi's coolest grandfather was for that child to be born. And uh, we have another little girl on the way due October 1st. And so we'll have uh, a couple of grandbabies, you know. Everything's going well. You know, always good. You know, it is. But uh, it's always good to be with family, you know. And it's like I thought, hey, you know, a, this is going to be starting this week. It's going to be kind of nose to the grindstone for us, really, up until, um, you know, signing day of December, you know. I mean, we get, you know, fall camps open up, and then we get into season mode, and as soon as season mode ends, you know, the, you open up the in-home visits and things of that nature, and, you know, we don't expect there to be a lot of drama late in the process, but uh, it's fairly labor-intensive, and so... Um, yeah, so you got to get away when you can. Really, the only summer vacation your good friend and host is uh, taken. And some would say, you know what, hey, Steve, you've been back and forth in New Mexico a lot, and you've traveled a lot, and that's true too. But the reality of it is, is that uh, a lot of times those uh, those trips to New Mexico were maintenance trips. They weren't really vacations, even though I did get to go ski in Santa Fe for the first time. That's one of the cool things too. You look back over the totality of your life. You know, you know what are the things that you've done and you want to do, or maybe you haven't done, and I've been working on a bucket list here as of late. Shared that with the wife. Here's 10 things I want to do in the years ahead. And uh, able to knock off some pretty cool stuff this year. You know, we went skiing together in Santa Fe, which is amazing. I'm not a big fan of Albuquerque, but Santa Fe is an incredible place. Um, We watched the sunset on a sailboat off the coast of Key West. That's pretty cool. And uh, we went whitewater rafting all in the last several months, you know, and so – it's good to get out and go do those things, and I'll be honest with you, when I when I get out and, and do things I haven't done before, it makes me feel young again, and I guess in some respects, I still am. I mean, I guess it's all relative, but, um, you know, I'm a firm believer in that uh, you always got to take on new challenges and new experiences, and you can't be scared to get out there and, and at times make a fool of yourself, and I got some other projects I'm working on, too, that uh, I'll share with you guys as we kind of move along, and, you know, I've written a few songs that are supposedly going to get recorded. You know how that works. You know, people make promises to you, and you hope eventually they'll keep them for you. But um, I got some things I'm working on. I got some guys that I used to, to, to perform with that are saying, hey, you, you need to do this, you need to do that. So we'll see. You never know. You never know what I'm going to do. I, I didn't turn middle age just to say, you know what, it's, you know, it's my job just to make sure that, that the, uh, you know, the debit card is full so, uh, so Dana can uh, spoil the grandkids with Amazon materials, right? I mean, you know, there's more to life than that. Even that's a ton of fun. You know, buying for our granddaughter, I can tell you, is it is so much fun to buy for her because, you know, kids are so incredibly grateful, man. I mean, they are. It's like, oh, my gosh, look at this, you know. Uh, so it's great. And so I hope that you guys had a chance to get out. Now, now guys, let me go ahead and get on the, uh, on the soapbox here for a couple minutes. Football season is going to start here. In just over four weeks, take the next month and get all your honeydew stuff together because you want to be able to attend the game and enjoy the game day experience or whether you're sitting at home or whatever without that stressor hanging in the back of your head thinking, oh, she wants me to do this or I promised her I would do that and I hadn't done it. Take the month of August 
get all that stuff done, and then come in and log on to jeanspage.com every day to get your practice report, your depth charts, and all that kind of stuff, because uh, we're going to give you unprecedented coverage. But take advantage, and for you ladies that are DIY people, you know, do-it-yourself people, all those things that uh, you've pushed back because, well, i got to go to Gulf Shores with the girls, and I've got this and I've got that, and the kids have camp, and you've let time sneak up on you. Listen, the clock is ticking. So get out in the yard you know, get your yard, your gardening gloves on or whatever and get your hat on, put on some sunscreen and get this stuff done because you want to be able to enjoy college football season guilt-free. So reduce the anxiety in your life by putting together a plan today. Get home, put it in your notes. Uh, the problem with that sometimes too is you forget they're there. I'm a big proponent of actually physically writing things down and leaving them in my workspace. So I say, oh yeah, I got to do this. It's always a million things that your good friend and host needs to do. And uh, just re removed a big one off the to-do list, the writing process for when the bottom falls is done. And uh, they'll do the final read and things will push you off the print. We'll have you, have you a book in about five or six weeks. And if you hadn't done so, go to whenthebottomfalls.com and you can pre-order. Uh, I have been told and I believe that the final chapter in this book is the best thing that I've ever written. Probably the most meaningful thing that I've ever written. Probably the chapter I'm most proud of Outside of this is that first chapter in Dogpile. That means an awful lot to me because, you know, we won an AFL championship in 2021, but I wanted the chapter one to be about, you know, the players and families and so many people that laid the foundation for what we now enjoy. And I think it's the most comprehensive thing I've ever written. Now, chapter 19 in the new book, which is the final chapter, and you say, Steve, why 19, why not 20? Well, I got clean and sober at 19. I was already a flaming alcoholic and a drug addict by the age of 19. And so that's the significance of 19 chapters. But um, I wanted chapter 19 to get to kind of be the crescendo, right, of this book. And uh, I got editors are telling me I just read through this thing again and uh, brought me to tears again. And I read it again last night in my final read through. It brought me to tears and I wrote it and I lived it. I'm just so incredibly grateful uh, to be clean and sober. And so, uh, so that's, that's going to be leaving Right, and then we're, we're in the process of finalizing a few things for the wife's new business, and so it's like all of a sudden you start thinking all these little things in the background that have kind of been weighing down on me in many respects are uh, beginning to subside right in time for college football season and college football camp, and so that's always a great thing too. You never realize how much that stuff is uh, weighing you down until you get out from under it, right? I mean, it's like, oh, like last night I finished those final edits in the wee hours of the morning, and uh, laid down and went to bed, it wasn't just because I was sleepy, it's because I was finished. And there's this, all this emotional kind of letdown or payoff in many respects where it's like, okay, well now this is done, this is behind me. So, so there we go. And listen, I'll celebrate at some point this week at Bulldog Burger Company. I don't know what I've got a hankering for this week. You know, some days I wake up and I think, you know, it feels like a sloppy Joe Slider day. And then I think, you know what, I really like that Mississippi barbecue burger. And then I'll think, well, maybe I get the pimentology ad bacon. I hadn't done that in a while. Or maybe I'll get the, the mission with the pico de gallo on the side because I think raw onions are of the devil. But all that said, I know that when I go in there, no matter what I select, I'm going to get a quality meal at a quality price with exemplary service. Bulldog Burger Company is absolutely the best place to go break bread in this area. And there's three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area, 
You go by there and you have that great restaurant quality hamburger, get those spring rolls as your appetizer, get that shake to go. That's one of the things they keep kind of hooking me in with. I'm always thinking, you know, I don't know what I want to eat, but I want to definitely get that, that Nutella shake or that chocolate shake or that lemon icebox shake. There's always something, right? There's a new shake almost every week. And I like the fact that I can uh, get that palate cleanser and drink it on the way home. It's an amazing thing. Go by and check them out today. Next time you're in town, make plans to be a part of the Bulldog Burger Company experience because you know those spring rolls will make you better looking. It's in writing, and that's all it takes these days to prove that things are correct. But you don't have to take my word for it. Take some before and after pictures, and you'll see for yourself. The spring rolls will make you and everybody around you better looking. It'll it'll cure what ails you. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. Got some baseball portal news. Uh, We're going to start with the good news first. Uh, Mississippi State will be adding former Purdue weekend starter Kale Steven to the roster. I will speak with him shortly after we're done recording this show. And uh, so we're not breaking the confidence. He hasn't released anything on social media yet. I suspect perhaps it may be uh, he will today. But either way, we're going to have a conversation and we're going to talk about him joining the program. Now, we've discussed him a little bit, as you guys know. He, uh, he visited last week and then is now committed. And uh, this is big you know, for State, 6'4", 215-pound right-handed pitcher. And a guy that's got a ton of Power 5 experience. That's the thing that I think about, right? There's a lot of people say, hey, you know, you go get these guys from the G5. You go get these guys, maybe developed a little bit later. Maybe they were a little bit under-recruited, and they've proven themselves on a G5 level. And then you bring them to the SEC. Now, not everybody is uh, Waldrop from Florida, right? There's a lot of those G5 guys that uh, joined, and they needed a year to kind of acclimate. That's the thing I think about with this group. I mean, you look at Carson Ligon. Uh, you look now at uh, Kel Steven is you've gone out and gotten two Power 5 weekend guys, not just guys that were, hey, they were with a Power 5 program and uh, maybe they threw a little bit midweek mopping up. These are guys that were in the starting rotation at their respective schools. So let's get inside the numbers a little bit here. We talked about this some last week. But, uh, you know, Stephen, you know, back in 2022, um, you know, he shows up as a true freshman and appeared in 23 games. That's impressive. As a freshman, he goes. He posted a three and four record. ERA was eight point two nine. So it's 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 not good. But a lot of experience had a couple of saves, uh, thirty nine hits and thirty three two thirds of an inning. Uh, gave up a ton of runs. Four home runs, eighteen walks, thirty eight Ks. You say, but Steve, I mean, you know, why are you hyping this guy up? Well, I'll, I'll tell you why. As we discussed last week, this is a guy that's kind of got some untapped potential. But he worked his way from year one as a reliever into being a weekend starter in year two. So he made a jump, but we're expecting an even bigger jump this year. And a lot of that's got to do with Justin Parker, but there's also some evidence to support that. So following the 2022 season, he went and played for uh, Danville Summer Baseball and uh, goes 4-0 with a 2.03 ERA, had three starts, 26 and two-thirds of an innings pitched, allowed 19, well beneath the hit per inning, allowed just six earned runs, four walks, and get this, 36 strikeouts. Nine to one strikeout to walk ratio last summer. This year, 
He makes a jump and, of course, has the best record among the pitchers at Purdue, a 7-4 and four, uh, record. They went, if memory serves me correct, they went 9-5 and five on Fridays. He did have a couple new decisions in there. But 7-4 uh, and four on a losing team, ERA of 5.21. And so immediately people are like, but Steve, they had ERA. You know, there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, but the reality of it is, you look a little bit deeper here, 76 innings pitched, 72 hits, so less than a hit per inning. Uh, 44 armed runs, and 18 of those 44 came in two games. Discussed it last week. Is ERA and the other 12 just over three? Did it give up some home runs? That's one thing you think about, too. It's like, you know, how much of this is, uh, you know, like the, uh, the, the Indiana game, the 26-11 to 11 game against Indiana. It's a Friday game. He doesn't have it that day. The wind's blowing out. He gives up five tanks in the game. And so – it's kind of like you look at your, uh, you know, the grading scale for your life, right? Throw out your highest and lowest grade, and then you kind of figure out what your median is. You did that with, uh, with Kale, you'd feel really good about this. But 66 Ks to 30 walks last year, so several two to one, that's got to get better. It does. And you said, but Steve, you know, this is a guy, you know, why is he moving on? Are they, t- they done with him? Well, let me tell you about his numbers in the Cape this year. He's in the Cape Cod League and uh, pitching against some of your players. He's got two and two record, ERA of 2.73. Six games, six starts, 26 and a third innings pitch, 21 hits, has allowed eight earned runs, one home run, 11 walks, 27 Ks. That's always good, right? And so the numbers are getting better. And the thing that you think about is, okay, number one, we've got two years of Power 5 pitching experience. Pitched against other Power 5 hitters. So the learning curve here should not be as steep as, say, you know, you go get a guy from from Samford. And that's no slight to anybody. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, the better hitters in college baseball are going to be in the Power 5 ranks. And Purdue wasn't a great team. And the Big Ten's not a huge baseball conference. However, when you look at what Cal has done up there, you look at it and say, you know what, this, this makes some good sense. And now, excuse me, now he's up at 225 pounds. But uh, let's look at the, his recent, all six of his recent starts in the Cape. Um, as I mentioned, two and two record, and, and uh, they had a, a tie, a 4-4 game, and he got a no decision in the other. But, uh, you know, running through here, I mean, like, the, the numbers are good. And we talk about, you know, opponent batting average. I mean, 216, 231, 222, 235, 265, uh, 278. And uh, that, that's the last couple ball games. But, uh, again, you know, we're, we're deep into the summer now. And guys have had a chance to see you once or twice. And so they're scouting too. Uh, but uh, the, the game against Harwich back um, beginning of the year, uh, June the 10th, that's the one you look at and say, well, you know, it's a little bit shaky. But he rematches against those guys on July the 11th. On July 11th, he wins 6-2, four innings pitched, one earned run, four hits, three Ks, two walks. Saw him again on July 17th, just two weeks ago. Wins that game 7-3, five and a third innings pitched, three hits, two runs, six Ks, three walks. Opponent average against 216. Uh, So he's with the Yarmouth-Dennis Red Sox up there. And the number that jumps out to me is this strikeout to innings pitch. 27 Ks and 26 and a third. And again, ERA of 273. And again, this is that's the best of the best in college baseball up there. And so he's lighting it up 
in the Cape. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. And this is a guy that, you know, by and large has been a, um, you know, he's been, been a dude on a bad team. You know, what's he going to do when he gets around here? That's the thing I look at. Now, looking at some numbers from the Cape, too, I think it's important you know, sometimes we, we get so caught up in recruiting that we forget about, you know, we, we got some good players coming back. So the uh, home run leader in the Cape is uh, on the same team as uh, 
Kel Steven, the Yar- Yarmouth Dennis Red Sox, that's um, Hunter Hines. They're teammates together. Hunter Hines has 11 home runs and 39 RBI. Leads the Cape Cod League in both categories. Strikeouts are up, too. Got to get better with that. But you, you wonder sometimes, too, if he's not overswinging a little bit, you know. Uh, the leader in uh, strikeouts among the pitchers, Mississippi State signee Kim Schulke, 45 strikeouts, and that's seven more than a second-place guy. I think I don't know that our fans fully appreciate how good Kim Schulke is. He's a junior college product. He is a multi-slot arm guy. And he's up there in the Cape pitching against the best hitters in college baseball, and he leads the league in strikeouts. That's big stuff. It is. And, again, this is a guy that people don't even really know much about. It's like, well, Cam Schalke, yeah. Most of you, the first time you heard about him was when um, Stephen Schock did his D1 baseball thing, and he talked about how Schalke actually got cut and then got invited back, and now he leads the league in K's. So this is a name that nobody really talks about among the casual fans. But yet you have a Bulldog signee up there just lighting things up, and he's going to be coming to your program here in a couple weeks. So now I begin to think about, okay, well, Steve, you know, we, we missed on Luke Coleman, and we did. We did. And that's, that, that's just part of the game sometimes. And do we need him? We absolutely did. The thing that I'll point out, too, is there, there weren't a lot of aces in the portal. That's the thing. Well, we missed on all these guys. Well, list them for me. And let me know where they're going. Luke Coleman, in my opinion, the best starter in the portal. He's headed to LSU. He's not Paul Skeens, but he is the best available in the portal. And LSU beats us again. And that gets old. I mean, you guys know I lived 16 years down in Baton Rouge. I get tired of losing LSU and stuff. And that's why when we went down there one, two out of three, it was a big deal. And a lot of our people, you point that out, hey, we beat them head-to-head two out of three. We did. They also won an NFL championship. Okay, you know, so let's not uh, let's not get too caught up in all that and say, well, you know, you know, again, head to head matters. But at the end of the, when you again look at the the full expanses of the season, they won their seventh national championship. Period. We're just kind of a detail along that road. To be fair about it, but um, yeah, I don't like losing LSU in baseball. I don't like losing LSU in anything. Uh, but you know, baseball again. They, these these guys were our contemporaries in the '80s, and they kind of wrestled control of college baseball and certainly Southeastern Conference baseball away from us in the 1990s. And um, you know, so yeah, so to sit there and watch them uh, win one, and listen, they're recruiting in a much different way than we are. But they won, and they get him. And uh, again, you know, Luke's got a teammate leaving from Alabama, headed to LSU as well. He doesn't really know anybody here, but these are went. These are situations we got to win and we've got to win this but again it's like well but steve we didn't get a single ace well you know we needed one there just one lot of options mason molina was a guy that I, I love i'm from texas tech he's headed to arkansas which i had a college i mean a pro baseball scout told me arkansas may be the most most talented team in college baseball next year oregon state right there with them you know and so it's going to be interesting you know, of course, uh, Arkansas and Oregon State have a history, you know. Uh, played for the NAFL championship here a couple years ago, a few years ago now. Uh, but, yeah, we got to win these things. But, you know, but Mason Molina, that, that's a dude, you know. And 
That's the thing that I guess the people lament is you look at it and say, you know what, we don't have a bona fide Friday night cap. And we don't. And that and that's that stinks. But there's not a ton of them in the league this year either. And so I think that's one of the things that we had to become maybe a little more acutely aware of. It's not just about what happens here, but around our league and the league we play in. But there wasn't a ton of big arms in the portal. And, uh, you know, we go out and get Carson Ligon. And uh, now you go get, uh, you know, Kel Steven. And you feel like, hey, two power five weekend starters. How much does that improve us? I don't know. But it does improve us. It gives us more options on the weekend. You know, we had to go out there and get a couple weekend guys. We didn't get a bona fide Friday guy. Now, that's not to say that Steven or Ligon can't come in here and take off. Ligon's thrown on Friday nights. Uh, Steven's thrown on Friday nights. But Friday nights in the SEC are much different. But I would much rather have the guy that's played a Power 5 conference schedule than to get some newcomer and say, hey, here's the dude. You know, and here's the thing that I, I wonder sometimes, too. Uh, what happens to Bradley Lofton this year? What if a, a, a very healthy Bradley Loft that lights the woods on fire this fall? Does, that, does he become your Friday night guy? I don't know that I would go that far. But he gives you another option on the weekend. You know, you like that mature guy on Friday because of the fact that it's the tone setter for the weekend, you know. Uh, I know this. I know Lofton has the confidence to pitch on Friday nights. I know that he's got the staff to pitch on Friday nights. He didn't have the experience. But um, – at the end of the day, we can sit around and continue to lament the loss of Luke Coleman, but you tip your cap to LSU and say, hey, you guys got us again for the second straight year. Um, I, I, can t- I know a lot of people say, oh, they outbid us. I, I, I'm told that uh, from an NIL standpoint, we're prepared to match whatever they're willing to do. You know? uh, but at the end of the day, they're the defending NAFL champions, and they're, you know, of course they had the top two picks in a draft. And let's just call it for what it is. It's like sometimes we're scared to fully address the elephant in the room. Oh, she was a much healthier baseball program than Mississippi State is. That's just the truth. And I hate to say it, but that's the reality. And to suggest otherwise is just to be a, you know, an unmitigated homer. LSU wins a NAFL championship. Mississippi State doesn't make Hoover. You're a one-year guy looking to make a decision. It's like, well, you know what? There's no guarantee State's going to make the postseason next year. I mean, I feel good about it. You know, if, if you're Luke Holman, you think, you know, I like Justin Parker. I like Chris Simonis. I like the town. But what if I go over there and what if things don't improve? Or LSU, you know, and granted, there's a lot of attrition at LSU too. As a matter of fact, I would venture to say Mississippi State's lineup might actually be better top to bottom than, than LSU when you begin to look at next year. You know what Tommy White's going to do? Got maybe SEC player of the year, you know. Uh, but there's not the same level of pieces around him that there were last year. They're a very, very veteran and talented team from LSU. I mean, you give the devil their due. I mean, what they did, they already had a strong nucleus, and then they supplemented it, went in the portal, got very aggressive, and got, you know, went out and got Thatcher Hurd, who was very up and down during the season, but was absolutely electric in postseason, especially in Omaha. You know, Riley Cooper comes in and, uh, you know, was, again, kind of a, what they thought was kind of a crafty guy, but uh, had an amazing Omaha right? Those guys are gone, you know. Uh, you, you know what Paul Skeens has said and done. That's well documented. But this is an LSU team expected to be really good again next year. And so you feel like, hey, LSU defending NAFL champions, and yes, there's going to be some attrition there. But you know what? I, I feel pretty confident they're going to be in the postseason. And so I get why Luke Coleman would pick LSU and take the maroon glasses off for a second. You know, Nate Yeske, one of the best college baseball coaches in the country on the pitching side. 
The same can be said for Justin Parker. And I was told, you know, after Wes Johnson left LSU, and it was understood that, you know, that LSU really wasn't in the game with Luke Holtman. They hired Nate Yeske, and then things changed. And so it is what it is. But, uh, you know, for us to sit around and act like that right now we're on equal footing at LSU, that's just, you know, we're just being – we're not being honest with ourselves. We needed Luke Holtman. We did. We needed to do what we had to do to win it, we, and we didn't get it done. Simple as that. And uh, we can sit here and talk about it and beat ourselves up about it, but – you know, you just go get the next best guy. That's what we've done with Cal Steven. And uh, if people ask me, so, Steve, what's next? You know, I don't know that there's a lot of depth left in the portal on the pitching side. I, I, I'll be honest with you. The closer we get to enrollment, I certainly wouldn't want to have to start a new relationship with a guy. You know, because if, 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 we, if you passed on him the first time through or the second time through or the third time through, and now all of a sudden you're like, hey, we got to go get an arm, let's go get a guy. And I can tell you, there are some teams around the Southeastern Conference and Power Five Baseball in the South that are still kind of scrambling a little bit here at the end uh, to find some guys to fill out their staff. I know South Carolina is one of those teams. They're scrambling to find arms. You know, not everybody's in a situation that, uh, you know, that, that LSU and Arkansas, and in some respects, even State's in right now, now that you add uh, Steven to the mix. So people wonder, okay, so what's left? Well, you, you're going to chase Braden Montgomery. And uh, basically what I hear – is that it's down between Mississippi State, Stanford. You say, but Steve, he just left Stanford. That's correct. That's the thing that I continue to hear is that it's either gonna either he's gonna stay at Stanford or he's gonna transfer to Mississippi State. Period. Now, I believe he's gonna ultimately be a Bulldog. I, I don't think he's gonna end up uh, going to LSU or Tennessee. And people are like, well, Steve, why is it taking so long? Well, he's in the Cape. And, uh, yeah, he could take visits and things like that. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that um, are there a lot of visits to take? Yeah, I don't know. But I was told this thing could, uh, you know, could even go all the way up to the drop ad date. You know, he, because, you know, I think Stanford's on a quarter system. I think that's right. But it's, it's not fair to yourself if you don't consider the possibility of returning to Stanford. I know that Stanford is trying hard to keep him. And, of course, what we've heard for over a year is that uh, he'd like to be closer to family. And that's so – that doesn't you – don't, you don't accomplish that by going back to Stanford. And I had somebody say, well, the value of that Stanford degree, well, he's not going to graduate. Not now. I mean, at some point he will. But uh, – so it's not, it's not going to matter. You know, it's like he's not going to be able to go walk out there and graduate unless he's done it in three years, and I'd be surprised that he has. There would be no decision to make if there was. But the reality of it is, is Brayden Montgomery is going to be one of the top players in the draft next year. And Stanford was kind of built to win this year. And they went to Omaha for the second consecutive year, and they, and they didn't win. And we sat home. So to suggest that Stanford wouldn't be a viable option for him is to be short-sighted. It also doesn't accomplish the goal, Right. The goal was to get closer to home, uh, play in um, you know closer proximity to family, and play at a high level. You know, so we'll see how things progress with him. But uh, I know some people will say, well, Steve's didn't sound quite so positive. I believe Mississippi State is the team to beat, but I believe the team that we're probably the most worried about is Stanford. Him just deciding, you know what, I just go stick it out for another year, right? Uh, and you never know what a young person's dealing with. You never know, you know. Uh, kind of how things are. But uh, I, I've, I can tell you I've heard several promising things about where things stand between Mississippi State and Braden Montgomery. I wish it would get over, too. I mean, not, not that we don't remove, want to remove it as a topic of conversation, but 
you know, I think you kind of know. But, um, you know, State and Mississippi State and the state coaching staff, everybody is all over this thing uh, trying to get Braden to come home. And, uh, again, you know, he's up in the Cape. We'll see how things progress. Yes, one of the things that I think about, too, is like, you know, after being out in Omaha and now going to the Cape for a little while, uh, I think there's a responsibility as a pro prospect. you got to go to the Cape for a little while. But uh, you'd like to think he'd want to come home and spend a little time with family and be closer to home if that's kind of a driving force, right? At some point, you'd think, well, if he wants to be closer to home and he spent his whole summer either in Omaha or the Cape, you know, when's he going to reconnect with family? Just, you know, one of those things I, I kind of kick around sometimes, you know. But I think right now Mississippi State is the situation that people should watch. But you cannot rule out a return to Stanford. You cannot. I know that uh, you know, there are some people close to him that are just saying, hey, you know, do what's best for you. And that ultimately is what he has to decide. But um, either Stanford or Mississippi State, I don't think Tennessee, LSU are the factor that some people are suggesting uh, I think A&M was for a while, and I think that uh, people would be surprised if he went there. So I think in the end, basically, if he transfers, it's here. If not, he goes back to Stanford. And, again, I'm not trying to let you down easy. I'm also not trying to paint a situation here where it looks like, well, oh, it's an ultimate surprise if he withdraws from the portal. I still expect him to commit to Mississippi State. I'm just say it as plainly as I can. That's what I expect to happen. But I also don't rule out the possibility. And maybe, a little, maybe I'm a little gun shy with all this because I know how important he is to our roster. If you get Braden Montgomery, and I had, uh, had a pro scout tell me, you know, you get Braden Montgomery into what is expected to be a very potent lineup already, this is a lineup that's capable of going to Omaha and winning. That's an important aspect of all this stuff too. It's not just about the moment. It's about setting up the bigger moment later, and that's what Braden Montgomery does for you. All right, time for today's top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair Chandler, he is your mortgage solutions expert. Blair is that guy. As the kids say, he's Timothy. He is that dude. If you need to get into a home, if you have perhaps debt to consolidate or whatever, I don't know your situation. If you need to use your mortgage to get things done or you need to get into a mortgage, there's no better person to speak to than Blair Chandler. Uh, Blair works at Fairway Mortgage, one of the most reputable mortgage loan origination companies in the, in the industry. Top 1% close ratio in the country, back-to-back-to-back years. How about that? And again, the big thing now is now that this new state law is that you can be 18 and sign a mortgage, provided your parents co-sign with you. What a great benefit that is. To kind of give your kids kind of a head start at life. And you said, but Steve, they're 18. Hey, it's not about that. It's about, hey, let's go buy that little house, that developmental house or that condominium when they go off to college and allow them to build some adult credit, but also to allow you to build some equity in that home. And maybe that becomes an investment property for you or a retirement home for you. Or maybe they just take over the payments when they graduate. And maybe your kids aren't going to college. Maybe you're thinking, you know what? Hey, they're young, they're responsible, they're working hard every day. And rather than them throw their money away on, on renting, you want to help them. Maybe you have the ability to do so. Blair can give you all the answers to every bit of that. He can walk you through that process and explain to you, hey, this is a better way to do things. Give him a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, at 601-500-2344. And visit the website, closewithblair.com. This is a guy that knows how to get things done. 
There's a lot of people out there that want your business. And I'm just going to tell you, if you need to get business done, you turn to Blair Chandler. That's why the website is closed with Blair, because he gets you to the closing table. Thanks, as always, to uh, Blair Chandler and Close with Blair for sponsoring the top 10 list. I think you may like this list. And so I was a little pressed for time, and I also have a hipster in my family. Uh, my youngest son, Ian, is uh, very much an indie rock fan, very much. He and, uh, he and his sister, Mia, went to Hangout Fest for, the, uh, for his kind of like senior trip deal. We, uh, Dan and I paid for that and uh, let the two of them go down there and just kind of enjoy uh, being together and enjoy the music festival. I know a lot of you went down there and you had a good time, too, and they did see the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which I think is great. Because uh, when I was uh, his age, I had a Red Hot Chili Peppers Mother's Milk poster on my wall, a limited edition poster that did not survive uh, my riotous living. But uh, nevertheless, it's kind of interesting to think that, you know, when I was 17, 18 years old and younger, I was into the Peppers, and then now my son is going to see the Peppers play live. But anyway, the bottom line is he goes down there and enjoys live music. It's uh, it's so wonderful to be able to share that gift with the kids. And uh, so I was like, hey, do you want to do like a top 10 of the Backseat Lovers, which is one of his uh, favorite bands? And uh, he goes, you know, if I'm doing a top 10 list, let me do the Strokes. And, uh, you know, we have uh, talked about them on the show before. But I thought, you know what, let's turn to the hipster indie rock expert, Ian Robertson, who is an employee at Bulldog Burger Company. You can go by there and say hello to him when he's not uh, working in the back. Uh, You should go there anyway. But uh, he will be a freshman at Mississippi State this year, be the third of my four. What's interesting, too, is Ani, my oldest, probably the biggest Bulldog fan growing up among the four, didn't go to Mississippi State because he had college baseball opportunities elsewhere. But uh, my girls, of course, now Mississippi State alumni, and, uh, and so now Ian will begin that uh, the process here. We'll move in this weekend. And so I thought, you know what? Let me turn to him, give him an opportunity, and, and maybe we do it all week. Maybe it's Ian Robertson Top Ten Week to celebrate uh, his enrollment at Mississippi State. We'll see. Well, you, know, you never know. We'll see how things go. But he wanted to do the strokes. So here is his top ten. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know all these songs. Some of you do. So maybe you're hipsters. Maybe you're into indie rock. I, I bet Coy Walburn will listen to this and say, you know what, Steve? It's a good list. I don't know. But here we go. Uh, number 10, Ode to the Mets. That's your number 10 song. I assume that means they're New York Mets fans. I don't know. I don't know. But apparently he likes the track. Number nine, Call It Fate, Call It Karma. I'm a big believer in this. Big believer in that. You know, it's like, well, you know, you're destined for certain things. I don't know that I agree with all of that. You know, sometimes, you know, karma comes home to roost. So I, I appreciate the sentiment in the song. Number eight, Chances. That's your number eight song. Number seven, Gratisfaction. I like to play on words there. Would it be about gratitude and satisfaction? I get it. Number six, Soma. I had to explain to him what Soma is. We listened to a little snippet of that before I came up here and record the show. Soma, some of you know it, some of you need an explanation. Number five is Someday. Number four, Selfless. Number three, probably the first song that I've ever heard from the Strokes is Reptilia. And, and Ian can correct me, I think this was like either on Rock Band or Guitar Hero or something. It seems like 
it was on one of those interactive music games. But uh, that's one that a lot of people know. Number two is bad decisions. And number one, according to Ian Victor Robertson, the number one stroke song is The Adults Are Talking. Now, you may not know a lot about the Strokes, but uh, they were one of those hot bands that uh, a lot of people wanted. And what's interesting, they've uh, sold over 5 million albums worldwide. Like, think of, let, let that sink in for a second. A band that you don't know very well has sold over 5 million records. Um, half of that in the United States. And their best-selling album uh, is Is This It, which has sold uh, right at 1.8 million copies. And so if you're familiar with this band, congratulations. Uh, you have something in common with Ian. But uh, again, kind of pressed for time today. I got a lot going on and uh, wanted to make sure we, I wanted to honor him, but also to give him a chance to celebrate his musical interest on the show. I don't have another mic or I would let him come sit in here and talk about how this works. But uh, the reality of it is, is that I also wanted to give uh, young people, you, you hipsters, with uh, your designer flannel shirts and, uh, and uh, you know, unkept hair. I wanted to give you a chance to have your moment. And so, but I also love my kid. And uh, he's, I tell people all the time, Ian's the one that kept me young. And most people don't know this, but he didn't get a haircut until he was like five years old. That's right. He had beautiful lion's mane hair. It's incredible. But uh, he elected to cut it. Now he's growing it back out a little bit. I'm encouraging him to keep it. You know, I, I contend that most of the big mistakes I've made in my life have been haircuts, so I stopped getting them. But uh, it's up to him. I have given my all of my children freedom of choice when it comes to hair. In fact, looking back in hindsight, you know, when when Ani and Audrey went to um, to Hosanna, was it Hosanna? Anyway, went to one Christian school there in Baton Rouge, and they wouldn't let you alter your hair color. So the very first thing they did, and some days it would be the day after school got out for the summer, they would go dye their hair. That's what Dan and I used to do for them every summer. So if they wanted to go do it, a way to express themselves, it's just hair. You can always cut it, it'll grow back, you can always dye it, whatever. Uh, but uh, I believe in hair freedom, as you know. I think everybody should be able to grow their hair out if they want to. And of course, some lines of work that won't let you do that. And uh, probably a safety concern if you did. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, what better way to, um, I don't know, to express our independence, man, and our own flair than with our hair. So, and some of you are, are kind of hair challenged, and I, I get that too. I get that. I do. I don't know that struggle, but I can respect it, you know. I, I will tell you this, it's tough to wear an M over S ball camp when you got all this hair that I got. It's tough. Uh, and then, like, right now, my bald friends are like, yeah, you poor thing. Yeah. But anyway, if you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. I hope you like the Ian's list. And if you're a fan of the Strokes, maybe tweet me and let me know, and I'll let him know. Either he got it right or he didn't. But either way, it's up to interpretation. But, um, again, I know many of you are, love indie rock. And so let me know how he did, and I will share that with him. And uh, you never know. He, he may end up being your friend. You never know. You may see him at a show one day. Maybe you're down front watching the Strokes play. You look down, there's a kid that looks like me. It's not going to be me, but it will look like me. But if you got an idea for the list, reach out and let us know. Uh, best way to do that is to hit up Roy on Twitter. I, you can hit me up too, but I can't always guarantee I'm going to see it or get to it quickly. I'll do my best. But you can find Roy on Twitter and on Spotify, where they house all of our great list at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And you can find me 
on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R. And again, thanks as always to uh, Blair Chandler for uh, supporting the list. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. Be sure and check out Campus Bookmart next time that you're in town. Go by and see their smiling faces and let them serve you as you peruse their fine selection of Mississippi State merchandise. So many people make the claim that they have the most extensive selection of Mississippi State merchandise. They're absolutely incorrect. That's just a marketing campaign, and it's not based in fact. Campus Bookmart. The most extensive selection of Mississippi State merchandise in a known universe. Miss Kathy Brown does an exceptional job keeping you guys apprised of the latest in Mississippi State merchandising. Uh, go by and check them out. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase to pay. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the show. It doesn't cost you anything to get items shipped to your residence. All orders over 75 bucks. Use promo code BSR, and that gets you free shipping. On all orders over 75 bucks. any order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. Mom, Dad, I'm telling you, time is running out. Need to outfit the family. Have them outfitted in fresh maroon and white gear. We get ready to host Southeastern Louisiana here in just uh, you know, five weeks. That's right, five weeks. Pick it out today, have it shipped. Mom, buy yourself something, get Dad something a little bit special. You know he doesn't dress as well as you'd like for him into, as you'd like for him to. So you've got to, you know, you're the one that's got to kind of take care of that. I hate that it falls to you, but the reality of it is, if you want him to look spiffy on game day, you need to go to Campus Bookmark. Take care of that today. CampusBookmark.net, promo code BSR. All right, the Bulldogs don't play the University of Florida. We continue our look around the Southeastern Conference. Been updating some profile pages, too, looking at that. But uh, the University of Florida, we don't play them. Not a lot of expectations this year in Gainesville. Now, you always wonder to yourself, how does Florida ever get in a situation like this? How does Florida get into a situation where people are not expecting a bowl game? You know, a lot of people are saying five and seven, six and six. Is that enough to save Billy? And so, well, Steve, it's only year two. Well, you know, here's how what happens. And this is the thing kind of going back a few years. When Dan Mullen left for Florida, people like myself said, you know what? It's not going to be Dan Mullen's scheme that gets Florida in trouble. It's going to be Dan's unwillingness to make those guys recruit at a high level. We saw it here at Mississippi State. It wasn't. Starkville that kept us from taking the next step. It wasn't our ability to develop players. It was our, at times, unwillingness to get out and fight in the streets for players. Well, at the University of Florida, you know, there were some guys on this staff that they said, you don't know what this logo means, Steve, how many doors this opens. And it does, but it also makes you lazy. Because when you start, you know, it's one thing to fish in the pond in your backyard. It's another deal to go out in the ocean and have to swim with the sharks. And that's what Dan Mullen and that staff did. They went to the University of Florida. They did not recruit at a high level, and the chickens are coming home to roost. In some respects, it kind of reminds me of when Larry Fedora was a Southern Miss. You know, Larry Fedora and those guys win Conference USA, but for two years there, their, their recruiting takes were questionable, to say the least. Then Ellis Johnson comes in and kind of has to, uh, to play with those players, and as a result, 
it didn't work out and Ellis didn't last very long. You wonder if Billy Napier's not facing a similar fate. It's difficult to turn things around and when it comes to uh, talent. You say, well, you know, there's still the portal. And that's true. That's true. But let's be honest. You know, Florida's contemporaries like Georgia and Florida and some respects Tennessee are not reliant on the portal the way that Florida appears to be. And so you've got to turn this thing around quickly because you put together a lackluster season last year, lose your ball game, go six and seven, and now this year you're not even expected to uh, make a ball game in the eyes of some SEC prognosticators. Yeah, so we'll see. Let's take a look back at the season that was at Florida last year. And again, State doesn't play these guys. It'd be a good year to play them, to be honest with you. Uh, I would love to play those guys this year, especially without uh, Anthony Richardson. That's always interesting, right? Uh, so let's look back at the season that was. And uh, it wasn't great. wasn't great. So they get by Utah. I actually picked Utah to win that game. But the Gators find a way to get it done, 29-26. They beat um, Chad Bumpus in the, in the group there. But uh, Utah was a top-10 team. It was a huge win for Florida. And people are like, hey, okay, Florida's back. And then the next week they put up 16 points at home against Kentucky. There was a time when Florida never lost to Kentucky, ever. Now they're doing it with more regularity. They lose that ball game 26-16. to They beat South Florida 31-28. They kind of escaped in that ball game. And that's the thing you start looking here. It's like, hey, let's be fair about this. When you think about the branding of Florida and the talent that they should be able to uh, – to amass there, I mean, they should have been 3-0 and easily, and they very easily could have been 0-3. I mean, the Bulls of South Florida gave them all they wanted and then some. And so it's like, you know what, hey, we, you know, we beat Utah. That felt like a good thing. We lose to an, a pretty average Kentucky team that was extremely overrated. And then we struggle against Florida, South Florida, and then you go to Tennessee and you play it, you play it tooth and nail – but you lose that game 38-33, so you're 2-2 two and two after four. And, again, Tennessee was a better team than Florida, and you play that game in Knoxville. You, you know, that's not a game that you expect to win. You'd love to win it, but you don't expect it. They blast Eastern Washington 52-17. They escape against Missouri 24-17. Again, that Missouri defense maybe didn't get the credit they deserved. You lose to LSU 45-35 in the Swamp. You get shelled by Georgia, 42-20. to 20. You find a way to win on the road to College Station. And that was a game for a while, but Florida out-athleted A&M in the end and won at 41-24. You blast South Carolina, a team that a lot of people thought was going to go into the swamp and win. And considering how Florida had played at that point, you wouldn't have been surprised to see South Carolina win that game, but it ends up being 38-6. to 6. The wheels come off the next week when you go to Nashville and you lose to Vanderbilt, 31-24. Anytime that we say you lose to Vanderbilt, it's not a good week. And then Florida State, the rivalry game there, they lose that 45-38 and then get absolutely destroyed in the Las Vegas Bowl, 30-3. So you end the game on a three-game losing streak, and uh, you know the honeymoon is definitely over for Billy Napier in Gainesville. You know, what does that mean going forward? Well, you know, that kind of remains to be seen. But they absolutely cannot afford to have another disappointing record. Absolutely cannot. Uh, and so 
again, Anthony Richardson is gone. I mean, how many games last year did he win just because of his athleticism alone and the fact that he could elevate the people around him? That's interesting. Uh, Wisconsin transfer Graham Mertz should be the dude. Got to keep him healthy. Um, and that's the thing, too. You look at this non-conference schedule, and we'll get to it a little bit later, but uh, now you got to go to Utah, and you get Florida State again. And, um, you know, that, that Florida State-Florida game used to be one we always tuned in for, but, you know, last year it was like, you know, Norville and Napier. I mean, who's going to be on the hot seat more last year, next year? Uh, it's clearly Napier. Uh, and, again, you know, Richardson was a first-round pick and, uh, and really mainly on athleticism. Let's just be honest about that. I mean, this is a guy with a big, big arm, but the ceiling is still high for Anthony Richardson. Yeah, I, I don't know what kind of coaching he got there, but, uh, you know, can he be an NFL quarterback? I, I think he can. I don't know that I would have spent a first-round draft pick on him, but uh, this is a guy that's capable of making all the throws, and as long as he can handle, you know, facing you know, the, the best defenses in the game and not – having to always rely on his feet to make plays, he should have a decent uh, career. Sure. Uh, you know, so we'll see. You know, uh, offensive line-wise, they always seem to have good guys there. You know, you, you lose uh, Osiris Torrance. He was an All-American. But, uh, you know, Florida and Billy Napier both have traditionally had good offensive lines in their respective leagues. Uh, I think it's going to be more of a running deal this year. I mean, Mertz, of course, obviously can add a new dimension to the offense. Uh, but he also, I think, takes away the threat of the big run from the quarterback that Richardson possessed. But I love Trevor Etienne. You guys do too. And uh, should be a really good backfield with he and Montrell Johnson. Uh, Ricky Persall was a guy that uh, did, did some big things for them last year. He has got to be a, a guy this year. Got to be a guy this year. And then they add uh, Xavier Henderson from the transfer portal uh, later this year. Uh, offensive line-wise, again, they traditionally have good offensive linemen, but they, they've had to kind of hit the portal to kind of uh, replace some guys they lose to attrition there. Um, uh, Micah Mazuka comes in from Baylor. And then Keontae Goodwin from Kentucky. Damian George comes in from Alabama. Uh, and, and here's the deal, too. When you think about the fact they want to run the football and be a physical group up front, you go out and you get some guys that maybe specialize in run blocking. And so we'll see. Uh, the Florida defensive unit, and, uh, you know, of course I knew some guys on that staff, and it's one of the things they told me, you know, heading into Dan Mullen what became his final year at Florida back in 2021 is they said, Steve, we just don't have any dudes on defense. You know, we got some guys that can run around a little bit, but we don't have any imposing defenders that people have to game plan against. And so they were trying to, you know, to supplement that in the portal, and it didn't work out maybe the way they wanted to. But uh, they were not good defensively last year. Not good at all. Give it up nearly 50% on third down. That's tough, man. And, and when have you seen Florida give up the points they did last year with that kind of frequency? And, uh, you know, we'll see, you know. You know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, this is a defensive group here that uh, I still don't think has the dudes that they wanted. But, uh, again, they went to the portal and uh, basically are trying to re revitalize that defensive unit. And so it's like, hey, we didn't recruit well. The guys before us didn't recruit well in defense, and now we're paying the price for it. So we're going to try to hit, uh, hit the portal to upgrade this roster. Uh, you know, we'll see. You know, Shamar James, a really good player there at linebacker. 
But outside of that, you know, it is a lot of it's kind of up for grabs. Just kind of be honest with this. Going to be a much, much different group than what they had last year. And it should be. I mean, you know, the, the only guys that you have that, that are returning with experience had bad experience each of the last two years. Uh, secondary should be good. Um, you know, we'll see. They may have to play some younger guys. But uh, they were a team last year that it looked like in the games that I watched, it looked like they were doing more thinking than reacting. You know, athleticism only gets you so far in this league because of the fact that everybody has athletes. Everybody does. And, you know, years ago, Florida, of course, was the big brand in the Southeastern Conference. So everybody wanted to go to Florida, much like they want to go to Alabama now. Even though it's not quite on the same scale, the reality of it is is that Florida used to be the it team in this conference. And if you got an, an offer from Florida, it was a big deal. It's not the big deal it used to be. Not to mention, if you were a, if you were a skill position guy these days, are you are you coveting that offer from Florida? Are you are you are you want one from Georgia or maybe even Tennessee? You know, the Florida offer, in my opinion, does not carry the weight that it once did. I don't think it moves the needle with kids the way it once did. And you look at the you know the lack of success they've had in recent years. You know, in these rivalry games, it's one of those things that you begin to think about. Is like. You know, Georgia claims Florida as their true rival, more so than Georgia Tech. And that, and that, that makes perfect sense to me too, right? And it kind of helps to have an in-conference rival. But, um, you know, Florida is a team that they're just, a, they're just kind of considered a good quality SEC team. They're not a team you look at now and say, hey, these guys are elite. They're going to play for something special. And even though Dan Mullen had some good years there, wasn't it? You know, three consecutive New Year's Six Bowl games, I mean, Dan's gone. It's, uh, it's pretty incredible to think about how quickly it all happened. And I don't think we'll ever know the story behind that. But, uh, you know, Georgia has won, you know, five of the last six. You know, back in 2020, Mullen got them 44 to 28. But the last two years, this game has not been competitive. 34 to 7, 42 to 20. It's not really a rivalry game. And, you know, there, there's some other, you know, you go back a few years, you know, and you begin to think to yourself, you know, did you see this coming with Georgia? I don't know that we did. Year one at Kirby Smart, people are thinking, oh, he's going to be a flop. Now he's won back-to-back national championships. And, and arguably, maybe the hottest coach in America right now. Uh, I remember he gave his pregame speech, and some people didn't like the language in it. And I you know, think to myself, you know, what you're basically saying is that you don't know anything about college athletics because, it's listen, it's not a Boy Scout convention. That's important to understand. And I think – kids hear those comments and that rhetoric and they think, you know what, hey, it's a guy I want to go play for. I'll run through a wall for that guy. Florida has done a good job in recent years against Florida State, but last year they lose again 45-38, but uh, that broke a three-game winning streak that uh, Florida had. You know, Dan Mullen's a guy that uh, kind of prioritizes the rivalry game, and you know the last couple of years he was here, maybe perhaps we didn't get uh, the same level of intensity that we did in the early tenure, uh, but when you lose your rivalry games and then you drop that bowl game, especially in the embarrassing fashion in which they did, you got to kind of question yourself and ask, you know, what, what direction are we heading in as a program? You know, what can we expect? I think one of those things this year, you got to be honest with yourself, if you're Florida, you know, this schedule is not exactly one that you look at considering your returning talent and the fact that you've shaken things up on your defensive coaching staff. Uh, you got a first-year quarterback, you know, in your program. Even though he's not a guy, obviously that uh, 
is, you know, unfamiliar with Power 5 football. But the reality of it is, is, you know, Mertz is going to come in here and play with a bunch of guys he doesn't know. You know, it's difficult to kind of put some cohesion together. In case you were keeping up with this, not that you can tell anything from spring games, uh, the Orange beat the Blue 10-7. to So not a lot of offensive firepower in the game by, by any stretch of the imagination. And, uh, again, we expect them to be a run-heavy team, and they should be. Um, you know, should be. But, you know, this was a 7-7 ball game until the last minute of the game. So, and again, you split it up and you try to make it, you know, as best you can, make it an equitable game. You know, used to everybody would go do the spring game and you, know, you put the ones and twos versus the threes and the walk-ons and you win the game 100 nothing or whatever. Um, but it was boring. Uh, Trevor Etienne led all rushers with 51 yards. As a uh, team on the orange, they ran for just 54 and then 48 uh, for the blue. So, you know, just over 100 yards combined between the two teams. And this is, again, this is a coaching staff that is kind of known for their physical running game. And, again, I, I get it. You divvy up the talent and you, you kind of reallocate things and maybe you don't play with that same level of consistency. Uh, but Graham Mertz was a guy that um, – you know, was the all-time quarterback, I guess. I guess, I guess that's what they, the quarterbacks kind of switched around here. But uh, it wasn't like you had one quarterback that just had it lit up the day. Uh, but Graham Mertz, between the two teams, on the orange and the blue, uh, had uh, 244 yards passing. He was uh, 18 of 29 on the day with uh, a touchdown. It was sacked five times, which, again, it's a spring game. There's only so much you can tell from that. But, uh, again, not – an offensive showing by any stretch of the imagination. They will open up August 31st, one month from today, in Salt Lake City, Iowa, against the Utes. Those guys done a good job at Utah. Now, will they be able to survive the loss of Chad Bumpus? I mean, because we all know Chad is the straw that stirs a drink. But uh, Utah, obviously a team that uh, plays a very physical brand of football. I don't know that, you know, if you're having to put together a brand-new offensive line with four new starters, I don't know that Utah is who you want to face first, to be honest with you. I mean, Utah, I mean, they do such a good job recruiting, um, you know, defensive linemen, and even if they're not all NFL prospects, they're very physical at the point of contact. I can see Utah giving them all kinds of trouble, not to mention being at home in elevation. Then Florida will return and have the home opener at McNeese, uh, home against McNeese. Tennessee the SEC opener on September 16th. Then they host Charlotte. So after the trip to Utah, it's three home games in a row. Then they travel to Kentucky. And who knows? You know, who knows what it's gonna, those teams are going to look like by the time we get there. They host Vanderbilt for homecoming. Then they're at South Carolina. They host Georgia. Well, that's host. That's the neutral side game, you know, the world's largest cocktail party. We still do that. They host Arkansas, then are at LSU, then at Missouri. I look at the schedule for the SEC, and I begin to ask myself, where are the sure wins? Ask yourself that. And, of course, they wrap up uh, at home against Florida State. But you say, well, ordinarily, you know, I would expect them to, uh, to handle Kentucky and Vanderbilt and South Carolina and Arkansas and Missouri without any trouble. Can you honestly say that today, though? The, the, the Florida fans, I mean, I'm sure there are some out there that said, oh, we're going to be back, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But let's be honest. You go back and look at last year, and again, that's a team that had a first-round draft pick at quarterback. And you're going to get Tennessee coming in there. Tennessee, one of the more athletic teams in the conference. 
that's far from a sure thing. You're going to go to Kentucky, and I'm never, I, Kentucky gets way too much hype and way too much credit. Florida should be able to out-athlete them. But you and I both know, you know, Kentucky has a way to shorten the game on you and make the game ugly. If, I, if you had to put $100 on this thing today, would you pick Florida to beat Kentucky? I don't know that you would. All right, then you got Vanderbilt come to the swamp. You say, see, it's Vanderbilt. Yeah, Vanderbilt smacked them in the mouth last year. And so you feel pretty confident that they'll be able to handle that. But, you know, it's, how much better is Vanderbilt going to be over last year? I like Florida in the game, but I'll be honest with you. It's, you know, it, it, it's, I don't think it's one of those 56-6 Steve Spurrier specials. Then you got to go to South Carolina, who may be the most improved team in the, in the East over the course of the last couple of years. They lost a lot, but they do have Spencer Rattler, and the game's going to be at home. It's going to be interesting. It's also, uh, you know, right before the bye week. So you ought to be able to throw everything you have at them because you got two weeks to prepare for the loss to Georgia. Then you've got Arkansas coming into Gainesville, and you begin to think about this. Okay, and again, I think Arkansas is a bowl team. I know I picked them last, people like Steve. I think the West is really good, a lot of parity in the West this year. I don't know that Arkansas is a good matchup for Florida. I know it's in the swamp. K.J. Jefferson is a guy that, uh, in many respects, like Anthony Richardson, a guy that's the big physical dual-threat quarterback that's uh, on the radar of NFL teams. I don't know that he's the passer Richardson is. But with he and Rocket, you know, that Sam Pittman offensive line, and this game may be over with in 75 minutes. I mean, both these teams won't run football. But, you know, Arkansas wants to be a very physical football team. I don't know that Florida does on defense. When you think about, you know, these two teams uh, were very defensively challenged last year, and both of them want to be better at running the football. But I, I think if you had to pick it today and say who's got the better organ- organization when it comes to running the football, it's got to be Arkansas. I mean, yeah, you've got ATN and those guys, but, you know, you're having to resurface this offensive line. You're having to retool the whole thing. And so that game could be awfully interesting. Then Florida at LSU. I mean, you know, guys will get up to go play at night at Tiger Stadium. I just don't know defensively if they've got the numbers. But, uh, you know, Florida and LSU have played some exceptional games in recent years. And then you got to go to Missouri. And you saw what happened last year down the stretch at Missouri. They kind of figured some things out. Will they be as good defensively? I don't know. I don't, I don't know that anybody expects that. But, but again, where are the sure wins? We say, well, you know, they should be able to get Vandy at home. They should be able to out-athlete out Missouri. I mean, just based on, you know, just think what we know about recruiting. But you can see why people are really, really, really concerned and gainsful. I mean, if these toss-ups don't go their way, I mean, you could see this team winning three games. I don't expect that to happen. But I think when you run down the schedules, we just did. I mean, you know, you say, hey, Utah and Florida State, those are toss-ups at best. And there's probably a good chance Florida's an underdog in both games. So you say, okay, well, they'll beat McNeese and Charlotte. Okay, where else are the, where else are the wins come from? Not to say they're not going to be better, but the jury is certainly out. And I think this Florida team is um, – yeah, I don't think they're elite by any stretch of the imagination, but they, you know, they should be able to out-athlete some teams. But when you begin to look at kind of the way the schedule lays out and the fact that a lot of these big games are going to be played outside of the swamp, you know, for a team that maybe lacks cohesion, that's not a good thing. Maybe you see it differently. I don't. I think this is going to be a very challenging year for Florida. I think Scott Strickland's going to have a decision to make at the end of the year. I don't think 6-6 six and six is enough. Do you? 
I don't. I think when you begin to think about this, and listen, Billy Napier was a guy that um, I said from the beginning I thought fit us pretty well. He didn't think so. And uh, there's some people that, you know, claim to have sources that said, oh, he was the leading contender for the job. Uh, he was the first guy on my list just because I'll tell you, I felt like, you know what, Billy Napier is a guy that knows the Southeastern Conference, and I thought that his offense meshed well with our recruiting footprint. I don't think it meshes well at all at Florida. I don't. I, I think Mississippi State or Arkansas would have been a great fit for him, and, and maybe even Ole Miss. He never even sniffed the Ole Miss job either. And people are like, oh, well, he was, they were getting Lane Kiffin all along. No, they approached Billy Napier too in the early stages uh, of their job search. And ultimately, they got the better coach with Lane Kiffin. I think we'd all agree with that. I mean, and forget the fact what you think about him personally, but you just look at the numbers and look at what Lane Kiffin's done. Clearly, they made the right decision, even though Billy Napier was never interested in the job. It worked out better for Ole Miss. But I think Scott Strickland's going to have a decision to make at the end of the year. I think that's the only way to look at this because you begin to ask yourself, okay, can we run this scheme with the same level of proficiency that we can others? And uh, I, I think Florida, with the skill position players you have in that state, there's so many of them. Uh, but the worry that I always had about Bill, Billy Napier and these guys that come up from the G5, and, and, and more so in baseball uh, than I do in football, is that until you have played against and recruited for SEC athletes, you don't really know what you're looking at. And, yes, I know Billy, of course, was an assistant coach. It's a different deal when, like, okay, there's a guy that can be very successful at Louisiana Lafayette as an offensive lineman. Very much so. And all of a sudden, that kind of begins to be your vision, right? And so the evaluation has to change. And I think, you know, the trajectory and the demands of that recruiting vision from UL Lafayette to Florida may be too much for him to overcome. It's a different brand of athlete. And because it is a different brand of athlete, it requires a different brand of recruiting. And so then they go out and they get all involved with the Gator Collective. And I don't know, I don't know how they're doing business, but I know this, they were thrust into the headlines in this Jaden Rashada deal and they ended up getting egg on their face. And so now here you are, right? And so the thing that you ask yourself, is the job too big for Billy Napier? I don't know that the state Ole Miss or Arkansas job or even Missouri would have been. I don't think South Carolina would have been. I think Florida is simply too big for him. And maybe I'm wrong, but I think he's got a season to prove it. But it's going to be interesting. Like people talk about, you know, hey, who's, who's on the hot seat in the Southeastern Conference? I mean, you know, even in year two, I think you look at Napier and you say, you know what? This guy needs to win and needs to win big. I don't know that he has the team or the staff right now that can win big this year. Could they win big next year? Maybe. You know, that was the thing I said all last year. I said, Billy's going to be fine. Just give him some time to get his guys. And maybe by the end of the year, he's really shown that. I, I just think the problem is going to be, you know, will the Bull Gators hang in here with them? You know, because, it, you know, we talk about culture at Auburn and places like that. Now, the culture at Florida is not always great either, especially when you're losing, right? I mean, that's just kind of the reality of life. You know, go ask Jim McElwain. They wanted him gone. They got him gone. And if you don't think that, um, you know, that the little issue they used to justify firing him was a minor thing, I mean, you're, you're kind of kidding yourself. They wanted him gone. They found a way to get him gone. And that could be the same case with Napier, right? I mean, that's the reality of it is, is if Napier – doesn't win at a high level this year, there's a good chance he's somewhere else next year. 
I think they're going to struggle. Uh, I really do. Are they a bowl team? You know, you'd like to think so. But you can see why Vegas is, what, over under five, five and a half for them. This schedule is not in any way advantageous uh, to the University of Florida. It's just, it's not. And uh, they've scheduled very aggressively. And, of course, you got to play Florida State. That's a rivalry game. But then you throw in the, the other Power Five, the Utah thing, and, and the way that Utah has played here as of late, it looks like that's a couple losses. So you pick up a couple non-conference, and then basically the best you hope for is that um, – you win somebody's toss-ups. Can you win enough toss-ups to make this a, you know, a good year? The way that Georgia and Tennessee are playing right now, there's not much chance. And of course, that Tennessee game will be in the swamp. But you know, you start doing the math here. It could be a very, very frustrating year. And so, you know, what what does that mean moving forward? Well, I guess we'll all see. But. Um, I don't know what his contract situation is, what the buyout looks like, but uh, I, I could see Billy Napier being gone at the end of this year. Uh, Scott Strickland's a smart guy, and uh, you know football's a big revenue producer. And listen, it's one thing. Hey, you, you don't you don't get it done in baseball in Florida. Nobody, I mean, you may get a couple phone calls, right? You uh, you don't get it done in football, and you walk into a, a fundraiser and uh, you get booed by people that give uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to your program. You know, football moves a needle in Florida. And, yes, they have a, a pen and several different, uh, you know, pallets of paint. But football is a deal. Of course, they want to do well in basketball. But let's just be honest, football is king in Florida. And they're not going to be unhealthy at Florida for long. They're just – they're not going to put up with it. And uh, I think Scott's going to be under a lot of pressure this year because of Billy Napier. And, listen, I don't fault Scott for going and getting him. Yeah, Billy was a guy that had paid his dues at Louisiana Lafayette. And you felt like, you know, hey, this is uh, – yeah, this is a guy, maybe he's the, the next Dan Mullen. Maybe that's the trajectory that we go. And, and you remember Dan had a challenging year his first year too. But the, the, the issue that with that was is we didn't, we didn't have a roster with that level of talent. And we still should have gone to a ball game in year one. Should have. And, um, you yeah, know, that's, that's a big issue, you know. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, we don't play them. Wish we did. I would much rather play them and some other teams on our schedule. But uh, it's going to be a difficult year in Florida, barring something uh, totally unforeseen. All right, let's get ready to wrap this thing up. I've got uh, a couple things. i got to talk to uh, Cal Steven here shortly, and then uh, I'll be hitting the road for a dinner event tonight and uh, be back tomorrow. And uh, we'll be getting into uh, to fall camp. And uh, I know we call it fall, but, uh, you know, it's preseason camp because we don't get into fall until late, and even then it doesn't feel like fall. But things are about to pick up. Business is about to pick up, and uh, we'll continue to do our SEC previews. But we'll have a lot of discussion about what I've seen in practice. And, uh, you know, my goal and plan is to get out there as often as we possibly can. We'll have full coverage. We will cover every, every practice uh, as much as um, we're allowed access. And uh, usually it's like 20 minutes or so, and then we come back for the uh, media portion of practice. And we're going to have daily depth chart updates. And I remind you to don't get too bent out of shape, you know, like if Paul moves a guy around like day to day because there are things that happen. You know, that doesn't mean that a guy's not doing well. And a lot of times, too, like, well, we haven't heard much about this guy. Again, we only get a limited amount of practice to cover. 
so we don't get to see a lot of team drills. You know, we get to watch them stretch and warm up and go through positional drills, and we can see who all is healthy and who all is out there. And sometimes we get to watch a little bit of team, but not much. And so if you don't hear about a recruit or a transfer or a favorite player, and inevitably that's going to be the discussion. People are like, well, nobody's mentioned so-and-so much. Uh, that doesn't mean anything you know, unless a coach brings it up or another player brings it up, and uh, we will ask them. You know, we will absolutely ask them, hey, other newcomers, who's standing out for you? But it's just kind of a, a warning for you guys, kind of be prepared. We've had some guys in the past that have lit it up in drills. And uh, like Javante Payton, I remember a couple of years ago, it's like I think, think to myself, man, this guy may be a Blednikoff finalist, you know. And then it never came together. There are a lot of guys that go through that. There are a lot of guys that get out there, they're great practice players, but on game day, they don't get it done. And Javante had some big moments for us. And then he got beat up and, uh, you know, physically and uh, down the stretch, he you know, just wasn't what he wanted to be. Uh, but the reality of it is, is, is don't overemphasize what you hear about certain players in practice. And more importantly, don't assume a guy is not practicing well because he's not mentioned regularly in these interviews. It's important to understand. There have been guys in the past that – you know, uh, we don't get to see him. The next thing you know, we get out there on that field and those guys are lighting things up. And you're like, hey, well, nobody even talked about him. It's because of the fact uh, now we're not going to be able to have the same time. Now, when Leach was here, he didn't care. He let us have full access. And maybe Zach will too. Um, to be honest with you, I haven't looked at the notes on that. But I know once we get into game week, and um, the way we've kind of done it in years past is that you know, they limit it because they don't want pictures and video of team drills. But – uh, you know, we, we may see more practice, and I'm sure we will, when we first open camp. But as it gets a little bit closer and they begin to settle to too deep, uh, our access will be limited somewhat, as it should be, right? It, it should be. But it's going to be hot out there. Uh, we're excited about that. No, we're not. But we're excited to get back out there and bring you guys some original content. And, uh, you know, some big changes, big changes this year, as you guys expect. And I think really the big question for all of you guys is, like, I think we all share the same concern. Okay, how offensive line-wise, how are we going to handle this transition to a much different scheme? I think the demand on a personnel group, on offense, the guys that are going to have the most change is going to be the offensive line. One could argue the receivers to a certain extent because they're going to be asked to block on the perimeter a lot more than they have in years past. Just like when, you know, year one, you know, there had never we'd, – we'd never had wide receivers see as much zone coverage as the 2020 uh, Bulldog wideouts did. And never in our history, right, because we've always kind of been a grinded-out running team. And so uh, teams would walk those safeties down to the box. We saw a lot of man coverage and didn't always have the athletes to exploit it. Well, it's going to be a much different dynamic now. We're going to be asking them to do more things. Not that we didn't do a lot of block on the perimeter. We just didn't do it with the same frequency we're going to do it this year. But how does this offensive line handle that? Now, you've got some guys, too, that are certainly capable of doing it. It's not like all of a sudden we're asking them to do something they're unfamiliar with. They just haven't had to do it as often as they're going to be asked to do it this year. There's going to be a lot of uh, alignment situations. We haven't run an attached tight end for three years. You know, what does that do to your tackle? You know, how does he handle that aspect of it with all these motions and shifts and things like that? And there's going to be some pre-snap penalties as we get it early into the season because guys are, are learning. And the best way to learn is to get out there and play. And so that's the kind of the personnel group that I'm going to be watching on offense a great deal. 
I think we have the talent wide receiver and quarterback and at running back to be a very, very proficient offense. But how do we handle the new alignment and all the things that we do pre-snap? That's going to be the real issue for me on the defense, on the offensive side of the football. Uh, we talk about defense, you know, going to be watching that safety group. But I'll tell you, well, I think about our front and especially our linebackers. Uh, I, I think we maybe have undervalued the job that we have done from a recruiting and developmental standpoint at linebacker. And you say, but Steve, we have the top number one and number two linebackers in the conference. That's exactly my point. And neither of those guys were highly recruited. You know, Buki had some options. You know, Jet, of course, had a few options. But we always felt like Jet would ultimately be a Bulldog and pick state over Ole Miss. But the, uh, the whole Buki Watson thing, I mean, you know, Buki wanted to be a wide receiver. There were some visits later in the process, and he kind of found out the same thing that we had told him. And, and now he has developed. And, and I, I go back, we talk, this is another reason, too, why I think these, these practice reports you got to take with a grain of salt. I remember Buki Watson's first year on campus. I'm at practice, right? And Buki Watson was extremely tentative because he's learning a new position. I'm not being critical of Buki. I mean, that's just the development you would expect from any guy. He was completely lost when he first got to camp, as he should be, right? I mean, this is a guy who wanted to play wide receiver. He's having to embrace you know, being a linebacker. At times, he's running rep for the walk-ons. And then I got to read a practice report, and people are talking about how he shined in drills. And he did not shine in drills. I sat there and watched him. He didn't. And that's not an indictment on his talent. It's the fact that it was, he was inexperienced at the position. And look at what he's become, which is a testament to himself, a testament to his coaches, a testament to Matt Brock and Zach Arnett. You know, the fact they've taken this guy that fashioned himself as a wide receiver and turned him into one of the most prolific tacklers in the country. And again, a guy that wasn't highly recruited. I mean, yeah, he had some options, but it's not like we beat Alabama and Auburn to get him. You know, people forget that. And so that's the thing that I began to ask myself about Zach Arnett and Matt Brock and this scheme and this program moving forward. What are we going to do when we're shopping for a better brand of groceries? Right? If we can get to this point defensively, and we still we're not, listen, we're not a dominant defense. We, we've had some dominant games, but consistency has been an issue for us at times. And some of that's because of the fact we haven't been able to maintain rhythm offensively. But what is this defense going to look like? All of a sudden, you can uh, you can bring a linebacker prospect in here and say, "Hey, listen, uh, this is what we did for Buki Watson. This is what we did for Jet Johnson." Think about where you are in your development and what we could do for you. That's an important thing to understand. You know, it's, it's not just about recruiting at the same level. It's about being able to take what you have and develop them into players that allows you to entice other players that maybe perhaps have a higher ceiling to come in. That's an important aspect of every bit of this. It's not just about, hey, we need you. It's like, hey, this is what we've done. Okay. You don't have to take our word for it. It's not a promise. We're not selling you a promise. We're selling you production. This is what we've done. But I think this linebacker group is really, really good. And, again, you add in J.P. Purvis, who was just, I mean, just, just kind of like an assassin hiding in the reeds out there. You never know when he's going to get in the game and just blow something up. He was phenomenal when Buki was out. Absolutely phenomenal, to, to quote Ben Howland. You add in Deshaun Page. Yeah, he was a guy. Was a guy we were really excited to get, 
you had East Mississippi Community College. But you, you start running this linebacker group and you, you, you get a little bit deeper to this thing and you start thinking about some of these younger guys who probably had a higher floor than the guys that are playing now. And so the development of that group, I think, is very important. And uh, not just because we know what we have, but this year is going to be about kind of building depth behind them for next year. Because you know Bookie and Jed are going to be here, right? You know this. They're going to move on. So um, so we got to make some things happen. But, you know, our focus is going to be that secondary. You know, that's the first thing that I want to see when we get into team drills is how these younger guys have come along. We've got some guys at corner that uh, I know Darcel McBath is exceptionally excited about. You know, he believes this, you know, these last couple classes that we've signed at corner, uh, not to mention the fact the guys we've had transfer in, we, we could have a very special corner room. You know, but how does Radar, you know, Radar didn't participate in spring practice. He's good to go now. So what does Radar look like back on the field? What kind of hunger does he have, right? That's a big part of all this, you know. And, uh, you know, you, you start thinking about, you know, Jones and Rogers joining this group out there. And, and uh, you know, Kamari is a dude, man. And, uh, you know, my concern's always been with him is, you know, is he healthy, right? Is he healthy? And uh, I can tell you, looking at him, saw him last week. Uh, he is in better shape, looks to have put on, I don't know, maybe 10 pounds or so of muscle. And uh, this is a guy that has some real swagger about him. And I'll be honest with you, first time I saw him play in high school, I thought this kid would never be big enough to play in the SEC. He is now. My size, the size issue is still a concern, but he's in a much better position than he was before. And um, so I don't worry about corners because it's not like people are like, well, you know, Ferge is running – you know, we haven't been able to run a size Furge off. I mean, the guy just keeps coming back and keeps coming back. Does he end up being the starter? I, I think he doesn't. I think he ends up being a two-deeper. And you know what? We need a solid two-deeper. But that, that kid, Isaiah Furge, is giving everything he has for us. And um, you never know when he's going to make a big play on special teams. But uh, it seems like when a ball pops loose, he's always like the first guy to jump on it. You know, he's like he's always around the football. But I think I, ultimately somebody will start opposite DCAM. But I'm excited about Banks at this uh, bulldog safety position, or the dog safety as we call it. I mean, it, we're going to be able to cover the slot, you know, for sure, which uh, I think will uh, will change a lot because of the fact that sometimes that slot receiver is a release valve, right? And Banks is so fast and so intuitive, I think he removes that first option more times than not. But, uh, you know, what are we going to do at safety? You know, you feel like Sean Preston can do some good things, and I feel like we've beaten this point up. That's to me, is the bigger question. If we can get through camp and have settled the two deep and we can cover on the back end, I think we've got a chance to be a really, really good defense. A really good defense. And again, with Will Rogers and, and uh, the returning skill guys we have, we ought to be able to score some points. You know, got to be able to protect the quarterback. But again, I'm very optimistic about the season. But when we get ready to head into camp, those are the position groups I'll be watching a lot, a ton. And uh, we'll, we'll get the camera charged up and we'll go out there and we'll have a good time. And uh, we'll get some pictures loaded up for you guys. And, and uh, we'll have a lot of coverage for you. And uh, once you come out, be a part of that. And uh, come join us over at Gene's page. A lot of that coverage will be free. Uh, so you don't always have to be a member. A lot of people, that's kind of the misunderstanding. I think, well, I'm not a subscriber. Well, you should be. But we do a ton of free content. Uh, really, anything that the paper's going to do, we're going to do. There's no point subscribing to them because we're going to basically give you uh, the same story and more times than not, more, more quality stories because the Internet is huge. Right, uh, there is no end to the internet. 
the paper sometimes is kind of confined, even though they do a few things online. But the reality of it is uh, we're going to have more people covering Mississippi State football than anybody else and uh, going to do a great job uh, for you guys. So be sure and come check out our content. A lot of our free content will filter its way on the social media, and uh, you feel free to click that link if it doesn't say VIP because you're going to be able to read it. All right? But, again, we want you to come be a subscriber, and uh, we'll have some incentives to do that here in the next couple of weeks as we get ready uh, for college football season. All right, again, uh, when the bottom falls, the book process, the writing process is now done. And uh, pre-sale is going pretty good. And uh, I don't expect it to sell as well as the sports books. I, I don't. And other people are telling me differently. I, I don't know. But uh, I know this. I know that um, it would mean a lot to me if you would order the book, whether you're a person that struggles with addiction or not. It's not just about you don't have to have a degree in addictionology to be able to understand this book. This is basically my story. You know, growing up in South Mississippi, playing baseball, uh, getting into music, getting into drugs, getting into trouble, getting into recovery, and getting into the better part of life. So in, in many respects, it's a story of redemption. It's not just going to be some big, uh, you know, drunkalogue or drugalogue where I talk about all these, uh, you know, great places that I've been and all these women that I slept with and things like that. That's, it's not that kind of book. We'll touch on some of that, but uh, because it's relevant to the story. But it's not a vanity project by any stretch. But WhenTheBottomFalls.com. While you're there, you can outfit the rest of your collection. I have people that I see all the time. Hey, I need to complete my my collection. Well, yeah, you need to get you need to get that done because uh, we're not going to print Alpha Dogs and Stark Villains this year. So it's under it's important to understand that. And uh, you can get Alpha Dogs, Flim Flam, Stark Villains, uh, and Dogpile all right there at WhenTheBottomFalls.com. All those URLs, like the ones you've used in the past, Alpha Dog, the book, and Stark Villains, the book, Dogpile, the book. They all go there. But When the Bottom Falls, that's a new one. WhenTheBottomFalls.com. If you know somebody in recovery, you know somebody in active addiction, you know somebody that loves somebody that's in recovery or active addiction, I'd encourage you to buy the book. I think it's going to be, uh, my hope is it's going to help people. And uh, that's the whole in, whole purpose behind the book is to help others. So be sure and check it out. And uh, if you need Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com. T-shirts, hoodies, thongs. No, we're not doing thongs. Not yet. Uh, so calm down. We may. And then uh, come enjoy our merry band of misfits over at uh, jeanspage.com. The Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. And thanks, as always, for your support of the Boneyard. We should be able to be on schedule this week. And uh, probably, you know, again, I'm an addict, you know, so I, I like routine. And so, again, you know, we'll get – once we get going here, we'll have our Arnett Mondays and our, our – Offensive players Tuesday, coaches Wednesday, offense, defensive players and coaches. And then we kind of get into a regimented schedule. I like that. I like I like knowing what I got to do each week. I like having my work cut out for me. And so we should be able to you know, maintain a schedule. Now, we, we do have a new grandbaby coming in September. And uh, when that happens, we'll probably have a shift in programming. And maybe she'll be nice enough to show up on a non-recording day. But either way, when my granddaughter shows up, my second granddaughter shows up, we're going to be there uh, to love on her. And, and I know you guys all understand. And if that means I miss a football game, then that means I miss a football game because I've got an army of people to help us cover that. But uh, we should be able to kind of maintain schedule. That's the only thing I look at. Uh, I do know that uh, at some point in September I'm going to be making a trip to California and uh, be gone a couple days. But uh, we'll alert you of any programming notes that need to be changed. But uh, I like being able to be consistent. I like the schedule. I know you guys do as well. Uh, I, I don't ever miss a day without telling you guys, but there are some people that don't, you know, kind of keep up or they forget. 
And uh, next thing I know, man, you guys are so awesome. I Steve, just check in. You okay? You know, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. But I got this going on or whatever. Uh, but I don't like change. I'm very resistant to change. Uh, and I know many of you guys are too. And so, anyway, excited to be back uh, in Starkville and uh, look forward to uh, being with you all soon. And again, get your honeydew stuff done between now and September 1. Labor Day is going to be here, and you don't, you're going to want to sit around and watch football all weekend. Let's not let that kind of neglect. And uh, thanks, as always, for your support. You guys have been so incredibly awesome to me. And uh, I'll never get to meet you all personally, but I just want to tell you I love you and I appreciate your support, the great life that you've uh, allowed me to have. Uh, because without you guys, I'm just talking to a microphone to hear myself talk. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.